Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It is so good to have you with us. My name is uh, Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you're like, who is this guy? I took a few weeks off, which was really nice. It was really nice. I took a few weeks off of teaching, uh, which is just amazing. Can we just like sit in the fact that I don't have to teach every week? Like that's amazing. We have men and women of faith in our church that, say, that, that can stand and take the mantle. Uh, so I am so thankful for each of you. We're going to pray that more and more come, uh, but I'm excited. I meant, to, I meant to have this candle lit throughout the service. If you were with us last week, um, we lit this candle, uh, and each week one more candle will be lit. Uh, those of you who have no idea, why does he have candles? Every year, for years, the, the historic church, after Jesus' death and resurrection, celebrated what was called Advent. And Advent is a season, now uh, some of you only think of it in the, uh, in the Catholic Church, but we have to remember that the Catholic Church began originally as the United Church. And even as churches split off and, and during the Reformation, one thing that was always held true was we celebrate Advent, the coming of our Savior. And so I like it. I get a little nerdy, okay? So you can just call me a nerd. It's okay. I love church history. I love the calendar. And, and one thing that we will never um, overlook is the Advent season. So historically, Advent was this time before Jesus came. It was a beautiful season where the people of God waited for the Messiah to come for the first time. And so there's four tenets of Advent, hope, Peace, joy, and love, four things that the Lord promised would come with the Messiah. And now on this side, we wait for his second coming because how many of you do not want to live in a world like this, uh, like just are glad that it's not going to be like this forever? Anyone else? Like, yes, amen. I, I don't want to live in a world where just basements flood and things are scary, and uh, money goes out the window because you have to pay for this or that or that, or, or, or where, where cancer. Yesterday was the 13th anniversary of my mom's death. I don't want to live in a world forever that, where cancer kills, right? Like, I, I, I don't. I don't want to live in a world where people get abused and where there's injustice. And so we hope, that was last week, we hope in a second coming. This week, if I can just light it at the beginning, this week is peace. That I don't know if you remember, but unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and one of the things that he shall be called is Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. Prince of Shalom, and that's a Hebrew word, and we're going to get into it, Prince of Peace. But I don't know about you, um, <laughs> peace is a freedom of worry. Uh, and many of us don't live that out very much, do we? Uh, peace is a freedom from anxiety. We don't really live that out very much, do we? In fact, the word peace came from the Hebrew word shalom, and I just love these definitions. I'll read them again so you don't have to like go crazy. They'll be throughout the sermon. But this is the definitions of shalom which would have been a greeting, an ending. You would say shalom a lot if you were an Israelite. And the, the meaning could be defined as completeness, 
satisfaction, safeness, salvation, health, good health to you, well-being, contentment, companionship, blessing, peace. All right, shalom, the prince of completion came, the prince of satisfaction, the prince of security, the prince of safety, the prince of salvation, the prince of contentment, the prince of companionship came and made himself known. And it's a beautiful thing if we look at the holistic image of what shalom is. And that's what I'm preaching on. That's what I'm diving into because this week, this week especially for me, um, made itself very known that we can live with the Lord's peace, yet feel and be overcome by the opposite. Anyone else? Um, I sat there on Tuesday at 1.30, watching as our lower level was being flooded with like six inches of water now. Uh, it, the craziest thing happened, those of you who are like, what happened? Craziest thing, we, on the day that this happened, we had just cut an eight inch hole in our church building to connect our sprinkler system. And then the main of the city busted just north of us, flooding Troost Avenue, filling up the manhole that they made and bursting into the eight inch hole that was supposed to be for our sprinkler system. So then we could seal up around it, water was just pouring. And we called the city and it took like four and a half, five hours for them to get out and turn it off. So there was like 9,000 to 11,000 gallons of water pulling, flowing into our building. I'm going to tell you, like, I, I wrote this, uh, peace is not very easy when everything around us is screaming the opposite. Maybe in your life, uh, your job loss, peace, how is peace present? You're, the chaos of your home, how is peace present? You, you, are, you are experiencing a divorce this year and seeing all of the things unraveling because of it, how is peace present? Uh, you, you're struggling with your family life, how is peace present? You just got dumped again, how is peace present? Like all these things, it's really interesting that uh, we can have chaos, strife, war, conflict, uh, conflicting worries, anxieties, troubled heart. Yeah, we have the Prince of Peace. So how do we reconcile this two? Shalom. I'm really excited to dive into this, but just to, to separate, I want to uh, make a nice divide between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Can I do that this morning? Uh, old Covenant is an Old Testament, the Old Testament, uh, that which was before the Messiah. The New Covenant didn't cancel out the Old, it fulfilled it. And so we're going to dive into this a bit, but just so you know, the idea of peace, shalom, before the Messiah came was this. The peace of the Lord throughout the Old Testament was entered into as Israel trusted the line of the past and hoped for the line that would come to pass. Now, I'm going to make sense of that. Uh, there's a nice little line right here. Does anyone, everyone see this line? It hides the cords that we don't want you to trip on, uh, but still somehow people do it. Um, I, I'm sorry if you got tripped on it. But the way of Israel, and we can see this, the wayward Israel would forget the line that was behind them, and they would doubt the line that was in front of them. And so they would be over here, away from the line. 
And as we know, that's when trials would come, that's when issues would arise, and God would appoint a judge or anoint a a prophet and lead the people back to the line. And this is why throughout David's Psalms are all of the things that happened in the past. Because we are united, the Israelites knew, to what happened in the past, but then they also looked forward and knew the coming of the Savior. That was where peace was in this line of what was and what will be, and as they stayed on it, which meant they had to sacrifice animals, they had to daily uh, do do these tasks with the Lord gave. I I need you to submit an offering, an atonement every year, and that was, they, they entered in to the covering of peace. And we can obviously see all the times that it didn't happen. One of those, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give our, our resident Jew a, a, little, uh, a little out, uh, a little call out today in a good way. One of those happened in um, Exodus 17. Uh, one of those happened in Exodus 17, and I want to bring it up to you this morning. A time when Israel wandered, a little, went a little way. And in fact, uh, so Tuesday happened, right? Uh, and uh, I don't know if you know, Randy is actually Jewish and in like her lineage. And so she came up to me the next day, and I'm sorry to call you out in that way, uh, but she, she's, she's proud to be it. She's like, I am of the remnant of Israel. And I said, girl, you are the remnant of Israel. Uh, anyway, so she came and she said, Greg, uh, it was the next day. She said, in prayer, Someone, pr- uh, someone felt led to bring Psalm 81 up. And it says this at Psalm 81, uh, how God answered them when they were in trouble and how he tested them at the waters. Can you put that up? The waters of Meribah. How he tested them at the waters of Meribah. And it's really interesting phrase, uh, how he tested them at the waters of Meribah. And she's like, I knew the story, but I was really confused by it. But then I walked in on Tuesday and I saw what was flooding through. Have you ever Googled Waters of Mirabah? And I said, no, I'll, show, I'll wait for the picture. I just want to explain, though, what happened in this story is the people of God were complaining. God, you promised us this. Where is it? You promised us the promised land. Where is it? And, and we, you took us out of Egypt, out of slavery. Uh, but where's the food been? You, you quail. I'm tired of quail. Manna. I'm tired of manna. Like all of these things. We're thirsty, God. We're thirsty. And they're complaining. They're starting to grumble against Moses. They're trying to have a riot. There's a lot going on in their doubt. And they've left behind this line. And so God comes to Moses after Moses says, Lord, I don't know what to do. And he says in Exodus 17, I want you to take all of Israel and I want you to hit a rock with the staff. All right. Now, this happens twice. The second time later on, he tells Moses to speak to the rock and he doesn't. He hits it. But this first time in obedience, Moses takes the staff and hits the rock and water flows. Can you show them that picture? She said, water flowed in. She was like, when I saw the building, look at that. And the Lord's provision came from a stone. And she told me like this. She said, I don't know what this means, but this may be a Meribah moment for our church. That's what she said. This may be a Meribah moment. And I was like, okay, God, like, um, 
what do you mean by that? I just said in this, Lord, what does that mean? And I, I started thinking of all the times when I'm like, all right, Lord, you said you would provide. We got in the building, but we're not done. And things keep coming up. We said we were going to be fully funded by September, and that didn't happen. And then we said October, and that didn't happen. And, and then we said November, and that didn't happen. And God, like, we had this Giving Tuesday, and I was really excited. And then water came. What are you doing? You know, all of these things. And uh, I didn't realize that we were at the beginning stages of a complaining heart. God, when are you going to notice us? Literally what the people of Israel were saying was, um, is the Lord even among us? And so I don't know what your heart has been, but as a leader, sometimes when things just aren't clicking, I start freaking out like, God, are the people going to think that like I just did it wrong? And that's what the people were thinking. Moses is wrong. And where's the Lord among us? And so there was just a riot going. I don't know if you, what this feels with you, but this was a Mirabah moment for our church. And I was like, well, God, I didn't want the water. <laughs> like, the people were like, water. I was like, water. And, you know, like, it was not a good thing. I, I didn't. And so I was like, God, why? I didn't want the water. It's not providing me much. Um, so I asked God, like, what are, you, what are you trying to say? And I felt like he said this. I need you to remember what you're established in. What you're established in. You see, the waters in that moment were to remind the people of Israel to come back to the line. Every time God courageously and insanely provided for them in the past, and the waters were to point ahead, because one day the cornerstone would be stabbed by a rock, and what would flow out? Water. It pointed to Jesus. It brought them back to the line. Well, I, I'm, I'm not among the line. It's different in the new covenant. And I felt like the Lord said this. I'm trying to remind you what you're established in. What you're established in. In fact, uh, something is different from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We no longer must be a part of this line in order to be covered. No, Jesus died that his blood may cover, and now Christ, my firm foundation, is something I'm just in. I'm established in. Paul says you are now hidden with Christ in the heavenlies. It's not a line that you can be in or out of or, or, or away from. You are in. Greg, I'm trying to remind you what you're in. I'm trying to remind you what you're in. Literally walking in water, talking to our church, like, do you remember that time when this happened and, and God provided? Do you remember that time we had these conversations? One person said, hey, you remember that, that vision that someone had of our church, like, being filled with water and bursting out of the, the front door onto Troost? It's happening. <laughs> Literally, we had a fire hose out the front door, bursting water out. It's happening. I just felt like he said, Remember what you are established in. Colossians says, uh, you see, well, no longer do we walk in or out of peace. We just walk in established peace. Colossians says this, that God, through Jesus, reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of Jesus, through the blood of the Lamb. 
Now, we are covered by Christ's blood, and so this is our calling. If you want to put this up, uh, we are called now to not just be covered by or to be entered into peace, but every day I am called as a man to be established, to stand established in the peace that he already brought. It's not something that I enter into or, or leave out, leave behind as I chase something. That's the Old Testament, which was beautiful in its doing, pointing to the Savior, but now I stand firm on a fulfilled covenant. Christ, my firm foundation. We are called to stand established into peace. And so it's very different where water can flow without seemingly a stop in a basement. And we can be established in peace. Where an issue could come into our marriage and what God wants is for us to stand established in peace. Where, where a trial could come into our family, where a, a, someone could be diagnosed with something and what we have is the ability to stand established in peace. That is something the world cannot do, but we can. So I just, uh, I have some statements for you. I believe, and I've been praying over this, I truly believe with this Meribah moment for our church, I believe that God is wanting us to stand established in his peace. And for some of you, that word peace is like going in one ear and out the other. So I'm going to bring back to word, to your mind, those other definitions of shalom, okay? In fact, I, I, I do this sometimes, but I, often I don't. I'm going to invite all of you to just close your eyes, all right? If you have notes, get ready to write something down. If you have a phone... You could pull it out when it's ready, but I believe that the Lord is wanting us to be, to stand established in his peace. Stand together established in his peace. And so for some of you, it's that word, but I'm about to read the other definitions of the word shalom, and one might stand out to you. That in this season, God is calling you to stand established in this, in his shalom. All right, so when that word comes, when it stands out to you, you'll know it when you hear it. The Holy Spirit will tell you, this is it. This is what you need. This is my, how my peace is going to be displayed. Write it down, all right? So I believe right now the Lord is wanting to establish you in completeness. And some of you have felt incomplete. The Lord is saying, I want you to stand established by my completeness. Others of you, God is wanting you to stand established in his safety, in his security. As others of you, the Lord is saying, I want you to stand established, established in my satisfaction. Others of you, he's saying, I want you to stand established in my salvation. Another in the room, I, I believe God is wanting you to stand established in his health. For another one, I believe God is wanting you to stand established in contentment. You've been discontent. He's speaking shalom. Others of you, I believe God, and this is, I, this is quite a bit of you. This word just kept coming up in my heart as I was praying peace over our church. I believe God is wanting you to stand fully established in his companionship. Did you hear that? Companionship. Others of you, God was wanting you to stand fully established in his blessing. 
so that you may know his peace. So this morning, we are going to open up. I hope you wrote something down. I hope something stood out to you. If not, that's fine. There's nothing magical in it, but I just wanted you to give time to the Holy Spirit to make known what it is that we're praying for over you. I say shalom, he says completion. I say shalom, and he's speaking companionship in you. Like, I say shalom, and he's speaking well-being, health, all right? So we're going to open up to John 14, and I'm excited. That's where we're going to dive into. You can go ahead and open there, all right? This whole section is beautiful. This is where it says, like, uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's in here. Uh, It's a beautiful thing, and I will tell you, I am personally uh, in love with this area, this this section, because it reminds me of um, my mom. So on my mom's tombstone is uh, John 14. Um, and the reason is when my pastor did the funeral, what he does uh, when, when someone passes, he asks for their Bible. And so he had her Bible and he studied through it. And he told me that John 14 was messed up underlined, highlighted, circled. And so he preached that day from John 14, which says, do not let your hearts be troubled, right? Trust in God, trust also in me. I have prepared a place for you with many rooms. And if it were not so, I would not have left you. But I do. And if I leave, one day it will come and there you will be with me. And he says, how will we get to the way? And he says, you will know because I am the way the truth, and the life. No one has come to the Father except through me. And it's this beautiful section. And I believe in this section, Jesus makes this beautiful remark to his disciples about his title of of being the Prince of Shalom. Are you ready? It says this, verse 25, finally. He says, I said all those things, which I just quoted to you. I said all those things while I'm with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and he will remind you everything that I've said. And then the verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I do not give as the world gives. So do not, he says it again, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Jesus was making his will right here known. His will, his inheritance. I mean, think about it. On the cross, Jesus left his soul to the Father. Take my soul. I give it to you, Father. Right before the cross, he went up to John, one of his apostles, and left his mother to John. Will you take care of me? She is your mother. You are her son. His body, given to Nicodemus and Joseph to take care of. Right here, he gives a title, a mantle of peace, and says, my peace I give to you. In fact, I leave it with you. What this means is literally Jesus is saying, my inheritance to my disciples before the Holy Spirit would ever come. It's beautiful. It's peace. What I'm giving to you is peace. That word, leave it is beautiful. It means that he was dismissed. Peace was dismissed to go be with the disciples. He left it to remain there as he left. He permitted it. He purposed it. My shalom, I give. That word give means to be planted, to cause one to experience something. 
It's not just like a, a simple give, but it's this, I'm giving you an experience with this. My shalom is yours. And then he dies. Then he dies. And before the Holy Spirit ever came, Jesus gave him the peace. Now, I, I, I say this because I believe, I, I do believe that the very reason the people of God were, are able to receive the Holy Spirit, which we now have, is because all mankind was given the ability to have Jesus' peace. The veil was torn. Christ is now reconciling the world to himself through the, the, the peace that he made on the cross. So the very reason we can now invite Christ into our life is because his shalom was made present here. It's so beautiful. And so, in fact, they heard the Holy Spirit. They were able to hear the Holy Spirit given by the Father, which would remind them of everything because they had peace. I say this because many of you, you're like, God, where are you? Why aren't you speaking? It's because you're not being established in his peace. It's through peace that we hear him speak. It's through peace that we are able to know the direction point to walk. It's through peace that we are reminded of what Jesus spoke in the past and stand in where he is right now. It's through peace. And I love this because he says, I don't give shalom as the world does. It's not something I say in greeting and then walk away. I don't say shalom and then shalom and walk away. No, it is shalom. It's constant. It is present. It is standing. It is given. It is an experience that will last. Peace. And so I, I, I'm going to get a little practical with you. And I did this last night. The, what I'm about to tell you, I started getting really anxious last night. We were, um, we were talking through. We had, to, what do we, have? we had to buy more chairs. Guys, listen. It's a good thing that we have a, uh, an event space right? It's beautiful. I love being able to have an event space where people can have weddings and all that. Well, a wedding is happening next Saturday here, and they have, they just told me they have 275 people. I'm like, the brother only has 150 chairs. What are we going to do? Uh, and so, uh, okay. So late last night, Kate's putting more in the, in, the, in the Amazon list, which these chairs are affordable in the sense of Church chairs are stupid expensive. These chairs are cheaper, which is nice, but not that cheap. And so we were really anxious as we had to buy hundreds, not really hundreds, a hundred plus chairs just for this event that maybe one day our, our church is going to grow into, right? We can praise that. We can say that. But I was anxious and I had to practice these three things that I'm going to show you because I wasn't standing established in my peace, <laughs> And so it's this, uh, if you want to know how to live established, you do these three things and we're going to dive into them, but write it down. We, we have to trust his sovereignty. We have to lay down our troubles and we have to seek to hear his voice. And if you want to live an established peace, this does not mean you have to come back to peace. You're already in it. So trust his sovereignty, lay down your troubles and hear his voice. And that sounds so simple, I know, but we're going we're gonna to make it a little bit more complex uh, because often it needs to go in that order. A lot of us, the Holy Spirit is speaking, but we distrust his sovereignty. 
We have not done anything but hold tightly our troubles, and so we do not hear his voice, right? Like, it, it often happens in this order, and so we're going to dive into it in this order. The first thing, like, we got to trust his sovereignty, and uh, sovereignty is a big church word for his power, his control, his almightiness, <laughs> his greatness. We've got to trust his control. Now, I don't know if you are like me, but I often believe that peace comes from a controlled situation as I control, like as I define control. Anyone else? Peace comes from a controlled situation as I want to define control. Meaning, uh, if we had 20 kids in one room and they are running against the wall, like, and being chaotic, I would say, I cannot have peace until I take control of that room and they sit. You know, like I, we define peace in terms of what we control, what we can control, what we can fathom, what we can understand, and if it's out of control, like water unendingly flowing into our building, we doubt that peace can be there. We do. But let me just explain it this way. The uncontrolled is never and will never be greater than his sovereignty. Some of you need to write that. The uncontrolled at my job place, at my work, the uncontrolled in my family. You just had Thanksgiving and it was a mess and you know it. uh, And you're about to have Christmas and you have to see those people again. The uncontrolled in your family is not greater than his sovereignty. It's not greater than his control. The uncontrollable water flowing into our building is not greater than his control. And our capacity to control something tends to believe what we um, let ourselves feel. Our inability to control or our capacity or our capability of controlling tends to be the rudder defining what we're going to have peace in and what we aren't. Instead of just trusting, even in this, you are controlled. Jesus, you are, you are controlling, you are ruling, you are reigning, you are sovereign. You see, I already alluded to this, I, I, I have it all memorized, John 14, but it says at the very beginning, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God and trust also in me, and there's a reason he said this. Chapter 13 of John, anyone know what happens? Jesus washes the disciples' feet, but before that, He breaks bread and has the first Lord's Supper. Guess who's in the room? Judas. He says to all the disciples, who I'm about to give this bread and the cup to will be my betrayer. And then he gives it to them. And then John just says, hey, when when Judas left, we just all thought he was going to do something for the poor. And we're like, he just explained it. But what I love is scripture said... He was given the elements, and upon taking them, John 13, it's a little weird, it says Satan entered into Judas. The most humbling and dark of sentences. But guess what? I fully believe Satan could not work on the killing plan until Jesus moved first to feed Judas the peace. In other words, even in this moment, when it looks like Satan has the upper hand, Jesus was in control. Hanging on the cross, Jesus was still in control. 
And so he's saying, and all the disciples are like, you're going to be betrayed, you're going to die, you're going to leave. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. Trust me. And and so we we had this joke. We're like, uh, (laughs) I think it was Taylor had this joke. He said, uh, it's Satan just having a conversation with God. And he was like, hey, hey God, can I flood their building? And God was like, yeah, but I'll take care of them in it. You know, I'll, 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 I'll give them... I'll give them resources. I'll show them that a church is not um, on a Sunday church, but a church is 40 plus people showing up periodically through the day to cover the needs of each other. Uh, we were fed by some warm food by people who couldn't be present. Miss Rhonda, that, that soup was amazing. Uh, our children were taken care of by the elderly in our church who said, I can't help, but I can take care of your kids. Uh, and then multiple people bought things. We didn't have the money in our church budget to, to buy these things. They bought, they rented, they showed up. People used, I, Satan's like, can I flood their building? And God's like, go for it. Let's come on in. But I'm going to show you a church. And it's beautiful but we have to trust his sovereignty that even in this seemingly uncontrolled, he is in control. I even think of the storm where Jesus has to speak, peace, be still to the storm. Even in the chaos, Jesus is still in control. And I think it's this beautiful piece that the sovereignty of the Lord is greater than the cries of the storm. And it just happens all the time. The sovereignty of the Lord is greater than the cries of cancer. Like the sovereignty of the Lord is greater than the cries of that heartache. Like the sovereignty of the Lord is greater. And so I must trust. And I will tell you, uh, last little piece, it is in those uncontrolled situations, uncontrolled by our definition, that we have the spiritual ability to stand, to stand, to stand, to stand, where Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Why? Because it's controlling me. His peace is good, his shalom, his completeness, his companionship. I got, I got betrayed by those people, but he is my companion. He is my rock. I got hurt by that, but I have a church that stands with. And so it's this beautiful peace where the uncontrolled situations are the moments where we can stand. Where we can stand. But I will tell you, um, distrust has let in many of your hearts other things rule. Where Colossians says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. A lot of you, your distrust has let other things seep in to rule. Right? Your distrust of God's people has let other things seep in to rule. And so you're not feeling peace. And you're like, God, why aren't you doing this? Your distrust of him has let other things rule in your heart. So we can't just trust his sovereignty because often we need to start there and work on it. We got to number two, we've got to begin laying down our troubles, laying down our troubles. If we're going to have peace in every situation last night, I was like, God, you, you are in control of these chairs. You are. But I also am afraid. And I'm going to be honest, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how we're going to do it. And I'm not going to point the finger at you because I'm not, this is not in bitterness. This is not in anger. This is just me. I'm laying down our troubles. Why? Why do we do it? Troubles could be uh, your pride. That's a trouble. 
Troubles could be your expectations that were missed. Your troubles could be uh, real sin issues. Your troubles could be anxiety, worry, strife, whatever it is. I know that Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, right? Can you put that up? In everything, through prayer and supplication, present your requests to the Lord. Let it be made known to God. In fact, like, can I just walk through? Do not worry about anything. Do a lot of people have the anythings in life? Like every one of us has a lot of anythings. Uh, so in the anything, do not worry. But in the everything, present things to the Lord. You have a lot of anythings that you are worried about, and you have a whole host of everythings that you are not handing over to him. Think about it. And when you do hand it over, it's not with that little uh, caveat of thanksgiving. Your requests are made to God with bitterness. Your requests are made to God with anger. Your requests are made to God with pride. Your requests are made with God, to God with this false desire. Scripture says, in everything, make your requests known. Make them known with thanksgiving. Let it be known to God and what happens, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard you, will guard your hearts and your minds. Now, I just want to explain it this way. Are you ready? Many of us are founded, we are established, we are planted in God's peace. We are hidden with Christ in the heavenlies. But a lot of us do not in everything, present things to God, and so our hearts and our minds are unguarded. You may be established, but you're also unguarded. And so that bad thing happens in your marriage, and you react, not out of peace, because you're unguarded, because you haven't even prayed about it yet. That thing happens in your job, and you're reacting. And why do you react? Because you may be established in peace, but you are unguarded. And you're unguarded because this is an everything that has never been presented with thanksgiving. You're like, God, will you just give me this? God, why is this just happening? Like, I'm just so frustrated by this. And, it, and your tone is showing a lack of thanksgiving. And you wonder when the storm comes, why you aren't feeling peace. And he's like, my child, you're established in it. You're established in it. But your heart is unguarded. Your heart is not guarded by the very thing that you're established in. Some of you, like I, I ooh, we are susceptible to lies there, attacks, and more pain. And I just had this quote, because when I got into scripture, uh, sometimes when I write sermons, and this is really weird, uh, but I like to play the devil's advocate. Any of you like to play the devil's advocate? I know Taylor does over there. Uh, yeah. Uh, so as I'm writing, I often want to play the caveat, the but I, you know, like the, the child, the annoying child that would be like, teacher, you're wrong. You know, that, that person, like I want to, so here's the, I have given it to Christ many times and nothing has changed. I have given it many times. I have prayed, I am praying, but I'm still anxious. What then, pastor? What then? I don't know what the variables of your prayers are. And I don't think that there is a missing formula. All right. I don't think there's this powerful thing that you should be doing. But we cannot say, are you ready? We cannot say 
that we have made our requests fully known to God while keeping them silent to his body. We cannot say that I have laid down my troubles at the feet of Jesus if I've kept them from his literal feet that are attached to his body. Right? Like, I cannot, we cannot say that we are trusting God with everything, yet only want to trust the head, which is Christ, and not his shoulders, or his, his chest, or his, his, his strength of his legs. I, I've often said the mothers, the mothers in the room, my mom, she was the spiritual thighs, right? She held me, right? Like, there is some strength in the woman, there is. You cannot say you have laid down your troubles if you've kept silence, if you've kept alone. That's why you're anxious. Because listen, what are you established in? Do you think Jesus said, hey, Jess, like I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you my peace. Peace out. He didn't give you his peace. He didn't give me his peace. He gave us his peace. You want to know why you're not feeling established in his peace? It's because you are, but you're thinking you're over there. Like, we, we, you, you aren't established. Submit in everything, your requests to God, and he will guard your heart and mind. I'm sorry, I spent a lot of time on that. We have to lay down our troubles so that we can hear him, okay? And that's the last one. Like, we got to hear his voice. When Jesus stands up in the boat... Now the disciples came to him, which he, he did say, you have little faith, which that's just the honest truth. When we finally take our troubles to the Lord, he does often remind us of how little of faith we have, right? That's just the truth. They took their troubles to Jesus and he spoke, peace, be still. Because when we do so, we will hear him. When the spirit takes that moment in the chaos and reminds you, makes known to you again and again the word of God, where he just speaks. Because I trust him, I've laid down my burdens, my troubles, and he speaks. A beautiful way of, of seeing all of this, and this is where we're diving in. Ch the children in the room, we're about to hit that, 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 that passage. Are you, right? Are you ready for it? Uh, they got little, uh, little cards that they can fill in the rest of this. We're about to open up to 1 Kings chapter 19 because there is a place in Scripture where the prophet Elijah needed to be brought back to the covering of peace. And even though it's in the Old Covenant, I still believe in fully, in fullness, that many of us interact with the Lord and with his peace in the same way. Okay, so the prophet Elijah is where we're opening. It's going to be First uh, Kings, and I promise that we'll talk this. It's going to make sense, and then we're going to be done, okay? But this story is so good. Elijah has done some crazy things. One time he prayed down fire to consume some wet logs any of you children ever seen fire come from heaven and, and, and then uh, burn the bad guys? I haven't. Elijah saw it. A lot of bad things were happening in the city of Israel and the people of God. And the biggest of this is that there was a drought. And I need you to hear this. There was a drought, a drought for a long time. 
And the prophet Elijah came in the season of drought, and his calling was to take Israel, who was out of the line of peace, and to bring them back. And the purpose, his heart was, come back so that the rain will come. And he's like, come back. And the people of Israel were just wayward and tossed. And so finally, through all of this, he speaks the message, a cloud forms, the rain falls, and Elijah's like, this is it. The people of God are going to see his goodness like the Meribah story. They're going to see his goodness, and they're going to come back to the fold. They're going to come back to peace. But the opposite seems to happen. The people of God begin rioting. Jezebel, the queen, sits out to kill Elijah, and Elijah begins to fear. He's frustrated. How could you not be in control of this, God? You could do all of these things. Why is this happening? And scripture says he found himself hidden in a cave. This is where we're at. Verse 9 of chapter 19. At that place, Elijah came to a cave and he spent the night there. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And Elijah answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I am left. And now they're seeking my life too, to take it away. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now we're going to pause here. You know the story. Wait, wait. He said, I'm all alone and I'm going through this all alone. I'm all alone, and I'm going through this all alone. Fear set in deep in the heart of the prophet, and what happens when I know fear sets in is we begin to be controlled by a lot of things, controlled by assumptions. We begin to be controlled by our bitterness. We begin to be controlled by some desires. We begin to be controlled by a lot of things. We let other things rule when fear and distrust set in. We do. I I can just imagine him. He has now seen fire consume the enemies. I can just imagine him thinking this, God, like, if you would just control, you could blow a mighty wind and blow every one of my enemies away. Like, right, God, why aren't you breathing on this? Why aren't you doing anything? You could drop fire from the sky and take care of it, but you're not in control. Like, I could just feel this heart in him growing in the cave, right? Can you, do you ever feel that way? God, you can, so why aren't you? Anyone? You can, so why aren't you? And as this heart is growing, you could create an earthquake and show them how great you are. You could split it. And they would fall down at their knees and know that you are God. Why aren't you controlling the situation? And he's in his bitterness. And I set it up like this because I think a lot of us have areas of our heart that are that same way. There are many everythings in our life that we do present to the Lord. But there's that one piece of our heart that I don't really want because he's not in control. He's not controlling it the way I want He's not good enough in that area. This is an issue in my heart. And, and, and as that sits and festers, we find ourselves in a cave. God, why aren't you? Why aren't you? Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you changing anything? Why aren't you making anything? And, and it's interesting. Uh, I want to specify this. Are you ready? Elijah still hears the voice of the Lord, but he misunderstands God's intentions. 
Elijah still hears the voice of the Lord, but I believe he misunderstands him. And I think a lot of you have heard God speak, but you're misunderstanding him, his intentions. You're misunderstanding his heart. He has spoken, stop that thing, and you're like, but it's my everything. He has spoken, leave this behind, and you're like, but no, I got to take it. You, you've, you've heard him speak, but it's with the tone of your father on earth instead of your father in heaven. And you're misunderstanding his intentions, and so you're not trusting his goodness. Does this make sense? This is what's happening right here, and I know it because, verse 11, he just said, Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain. Some crazy things are about to happen, but it's not until Elijah finally hears the voice of the Lord, I'm just going to preface this for you, that he finally stands at the mouth of the cave, which means he heard God, but didn't obey him yet. You ready? This is where a lot of us are. He heard God, but didn't obey him. And so the story continues this. There was a great wind so strong that it could have probably killed all of the Israelites like he was praying, right? Like he could have been praying. And it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was a sound of sheer silence, a still small voice, a whisper, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood at the entrance. He went out, and he obeyed. And the same words came from him. It says, there came a voice outside that cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I'm going to change my tone, because I believe his tone changed. It's the same statement, but I believe his tone changed. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. But the Israelites, they've forsaken your covenant. They throw down your altar. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I am all alone. And now they're seeking my life too, to take it away. I believe there's a different tone because inside the cave, He was guarded by his fears, and I believe he was using his prayers as ammunition against the Father. Like, think about it. Some of your prayers are more like ammunition or armor than they are anything else. They they are like, God, you're not doing this. God, I feel this way. God, why aren't you doing this for me? God, if you would just do this. And it's like an armor, an attack. But outside, the same word, God, I don't feel like anything's happening. And I'm all alone And then in this, the Lord speaks. He says this. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you will anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You will anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, as prophet in your place. Listen to verse 17. And whoever among the people who are trying to kill you, whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And I will leave 7,000 in Israel and all the, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him, I will leave 7,000 for you. Listen, this is why I ended it here. 
beautiful. Are you ready? Now that you've come out, come out of the cave, now that you've trusted my goodness, now that you've laid down your burdens, and now you're hearing me, the peace of God will guard you. Why will it guard you? Because whoever gets through Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever gets through Jehu, Elisha will kill. Like where you go, you will be guarded. Why? Because you're standing in my peace. You're in the line of my peace. This is the promise that the Lord has. If you would first trust him, begin laying down your burdens and you would hear his voice, you would hear him say, where you go, I will go and I will guard you. I will guard your mind when that thing happens. That's your biggest fear. I will guard your heart when the burdens come in. I will guard your, your heart from all the anxieties, all stress. If you just trust me, you will have a three-chord protection. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He had a three-chord. Jehu, Elisha, and Hazael. They will protect you. So in this place, band, we're going to end very different. I don't want any band to come up. I don't know if you played a, planned anything. I forgot to tell you, I planned for nothing to happen. I just want everyone to close their eyes. I could cause a lot of sounds. And for some of you, the sound of the cymbal... God was not in. The sound of the guitar string, God was not in. The sound of the pad playing earlier, God was not in. The sound of all these things, all the noises of our life, God is not in. Let's just hear him in the silence. Maybe you begin to say, God, I've distrust you with this. I have distrusted you with this. Here is my trouble. I'm going to stop using it like armor against you. I'm going to present it to you. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.